I want you to open your Bibles today with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue through our examination of the Sermon on the Mount. And we're talking about living in the kingdom of God, kingdom living, when we're not yet in the kingdom of God. Uh, we're, we're talking about how to take those principles of kingdom living and put them into the world that we live in today, the here and now. And sometimes that can be very, very difficult. Now, I want, let me ask you a, a question, because I don't want to offend anyone when we start. Has, within, say, the last two weeks, has anybody here murdered anybody? Well, I'm glad that you all were able to. I didn't ask if you felt like it. Okay? But if you have. Uh, and I kind of expected that there would be a chuckle at that. To think that's such an absurd thing. And yet Jesus would probably tell you, according to the standards of kingdom living, you probably have. And so we're going to look today uh, in our study through uh, on this kingdom of this kingdom living. We're going to be looking at that issue, that that problem in living the kingdom life. I did. Uh, I, I I have watched the news, so I know that there is a problem going on not only in our nation but in our world with regards to people killing people. The murder rate is up just nearly everywhere. Um, did you know that in 1963, the nation of Scotland, the entire nation, had two persons convicted of murder in 1963? In, two, in the year 2000, Scotland saw 128 homicides. That's a pretty, pretty steep increase. In Washington, D.C. in 1960, there were 81 murders. In uh, 1991, that had increased to 482 murders. In 2000, uh, according to Washington, D.C. police, they recorded 230 murders. And to date... Uh, through, I think it's through July the 30th of this year, there have been re reported 113 murders in, the, in our nation's capital. Now, we think, well, those are places, those are different places than where I live. Oh, yeah? Now, I didn't have time, Darren, to run this, these statistics by you. I just took what was on the internet. And here's what I saw with regards to Kansas City. In 2020, in the, and when I say Kansas City, I'm talking about Kansas City, Missouri. In Kansas City, Missouri in 2020, there were 156 murders. Is that, is that right, Darren? Sound right? So far in 2021, now I'm not, I don't know what went on last night or, or over the weekend, but so far in 2021, there were 75 murders reported. Um, that's a, an amazing, an amazingly tragic number. And if you take that as far as the entire metropolitan area, this nice little hometown, lovable city of ours, Kansas City, the metropolitan area has had over 150 murders 
in 2021, and we're just barely halfway through. My point in saying all this is to say this is a problem here, there, and everywhere. Now, I don't need to spend a lot of time defining for you what a murder is. I think we all, unfortunately, have heard that so much uh, that we all know exactly what it is. But what does that have to do with living the kingdom life in this world? Well, it's descriptive of our world, first of all. But it also says to live the Christian life in a world that so that has at times so little regard for or, or little value of life that we will kill another person if we want to take their automobile or their tennis shoes or if we just don't like what they look like. If we have that re low regard for life, it's going to be difficult to live a life of grace in this world. So today and next Sunday, we're going to be looking at, at uh, a two-part study, if you will, that I'm, that I, as part of the Sermon on the Mount. We're not gonna be talking about murder next week, all right? This week we're gonna be talking about, about that. Really, we're not even gonna be talking about murder so much. We're gonna be talking about why it's a problem and where this problem came from. Next week, we're gonna talk about sexual sin. And when we get into the statistics of sexual sin, blows murder out of the water. We have a problem in our nation and in our world today. And so we're gonna look at the solution to it all. For us who are part of the kingdom, we have to understand your heart matters. So I'm gonna to, to be talking about your heart matters for the next couple of weeks. So today is gonna to be part one in that of your heart matters and uh, in today's text today's uh study is going to be and talk is going to be about about under this title have you killed anyone lately matthew chapter 5 beginning at verse 21 and jesus again is speaking to his disciples both the Disciples that were that were called the twelve, as well as other disciples who followed him. And because you may remember when we started our study, he saw the multitudes of people that were there and went up the hill with his disciples and sat down and began to teach his disciples. And the crowds came up to hear all of this. You know, it's not just Christians who are living in a world with a high murder rate. Everyone is. This is a universal condition, a universal uh, set of, con uh, uh, of, what's the word I'm looking for? Situation. Um, uh, and, and all of us have to live in this. And all of us are required to live a certain way. But I wanna share, show with you, show you what that is. Matthew chapter five, verse 21. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Let me just, because it's not part of the sermon, kind of stop here and, and point out a couple of, a couple of things, because this will also come up next week. When he says, um, you have heard it said that it was said to those of old, the, uh, 
literal rendering of that would be something like to the ancient ones. You've heard it said that as far back as you can remember, you've heard this. You've heard this truth, you shall not murder. Now, this is, well, I want to leave some of this for in a few moments, but I want you to see that he's, he's saying this has been around for a long time, folks. This rule isn't like these new mass mandates that change, it seems like, every month. This has been in our, in our system and our society and our global living as, as far back as the very beginning. I mean, after all, brothers had a dispute when there was just one family alive and one of them killed another. You can read about it in the book of Genesis. I believe it's chapter four. That's pretty early on. And that is a, 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 an indication that murder and killing somebody has always been a problem. And it's always been a rule. So even the ancient ones, even predating what Moses said in the, in the uh, Ten Commandments, he says, you know, and everyone has, has been told that it was um, that you shall not murder. And whoever murders will then be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, you have, uh, that you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment and whoever says to his brother raka shall be in danger of the council but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire just general survey here do you think that jesus says this is serious business you know, he's not just flipping this off and giving some little puns out there. He's saying this is important stuff. Then he goes on <clears throat> and he says in verse 23, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly <clears throat> while you're on the way with him. <clears throat> Resolve whatever issue that you have, lest your adversary delivers you over to the judge and the judge hands you over to the officers and you're thrown into prison. Surely I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you have paid every last penny. Here is a kind of a pretty deep subject after having uh, some teachings on blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are the meek and all of those things, uh, the Beatitudes that are, uh, that bring kind of a, a, a lift to our step. You know, if we could just, ever learn how just to be happy, you know, that kind of thing. And then we've, we've uh, talked about being salt and light and being impact people in the culture and the world that's around us. We talked about how Jesus uh, uh, says you're, you are the light of the world and, and you 
can't hide your you can't hide your light under a bushel basket, but you let it shine so everyone can see. And Jesus said, "But I want you to make sure I didn't I didn't come here to destroy the law. Doing what's right is still in vogue, still important in the kingdom of God." And then he he says, "I came to fulfill the law because you can't." So I came to do that on your behalf. And then he comes up with this one now. Don't go out and murder people. Isn't that kind of an abrupt change? It, it seems to me uh, like it's a, a much harsher tone that he's taking. But, he, but here's what I think he's saying. He's not, and make sure that you hear me all the way out with what I'm getting ready to say. <clears throat> because I don't think that what he's doing is teaching against murder, okay? I believe with all of my heart that Jesus says we shouldn't murder. Can we give an, an agreement on that? But he's concerned about the attitudes that our heart has toward other people. And this, my friends, I haven't murdered anyone. I, I'll, I'll be the first to stand up and say I haven't done it. Now, I did qualify it when I mentioned it, and several of you nodded your head. You hadn't felt like it. You know what Jesus is saying? You can't feel like it. You've got to be careful because as humans, imperfect as we are, when we start feeling like it, something may snap and we do something we wish we hadn't. It may not be pull out a gun and shoot somebody. But it may be open our mouth and say something that's just as damaging, just as, as horrible. It may be any number of other things that we'll do because our hearts and our outsides don't always line up. Do you get that point? So as we look at this, I want you to do that with the idea that Jesus wants to go deeper than just don't commit murder. Okay, let me give you the points that I want you to have driven home for you today. In, um, in that, that is that Jesus, first of all, is, is teaching us that the standards for God's kingdom are for kingdom living are higher than the standards for living in this world. Okay, now, I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying here. As disciples of Jesus, as followers of Christ, as believers in him, we are called to a higher standard of living than everybody else in the world is. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying there? I want to make sure, because I don't want to gloss over this if you don't get it. If you're part of God's kingdom, just not murdering, is not good enough to fulfill the law or to fulfill grace. You have a higher standard that says you can't be angry with anyone. Let me ask you this question. Anybody here been angry at somebody in the last two weeks? Some of you are honest. The rest of you will have a time at the end of the service where you can come down here. <laughs> yeah, we get angry at one another. Well, I didn't kill him, though. Jesus says, if you are angry with your brother, you're guilty. 
That's a higher standard, isn't it? Because I don't care any way you want to add it up. Hating somebody or being angry with somebody is not nearly as deadly as killing somebody, right? That's the way we rationalize. Jesus is not good enough for kingdom living. Kingdom living, you have to deal with the attitudes of your heart. Remember, do you, you remember what he said in chapter 5, verse 21? You've heard it was said to those of old, don't murder. And whoever murders is in danger of the judgment. Now, we, I think that we've been friends long enough. Not long enough. That way, the way I said it didn't sound. We've been fr friends long enough for you to know. Um, and we've talked about this over the past several months. That there is coming a day when God is going to judge the world. Okay? There's coming a day when Jesus is going to return to this planet and establish his kingdom on this earth. And after that kingdom has been around for a thousand years, Jesus is going to, or things are going to move to the great white throne judgment and actions and attitudes and behaviors and all of these things are going to be judged. And it's going to all be judged by, are based on, is your name written in the book of life? If it's not, you're in trouble. If it is, because you didn't get there because you were good. You got there because you trusted in Jesus' goodness to get you through it. Now look what he says here. If you murder, now remember in just a verse or two, Jesus is going to redefine our understanding of murder to be not killing somebody, but if you are angry with somebody, and we've had several people, this puts us in danger, doesn't it? This is a serious business. And he says you are in danger of the judgment. And I, you know, I, I have to tell you, I've read a lot of commentaries this week on that uh, on that verse. What's it, what are they talking about the judgment? Um, uh, because I, I mean, are they talking about the judgment seat? Are they talking because Christians aren't going to be in danger of the judgment, right? But it, it could be that what Jesus is saying, and this is just my conjecture here. I just throw this out, out there. I'm, I'm not saying this is what it means. Uh, because literally what it means is being uh, standing before the judgment seat and being judged, pass, have, pass, have judgment passed. It could be that this is, you could be in danger of the judgment because you're not living consistent with your faith. What I mean by that is you say, I claim to be a believer, I claim to be a Christ follower, but I'm violating Jesus' own orders. Don't be angry. And if you're angry, you're guilty of murder. You're guilty, you are in danger of being facing the judgment that because it might be an indicator that really you think you're a believer, you think you're a disciple, but you're not living like it, so there's doubt. Okay? Jesus has raised the bar, has raised the standard. The old standard, the Old Testament standard, I'm going to tell you what I was what I was going to tell you before and said I'll wait for a few minutes because I want to catch up with my slide. 
The Old Testament law with regards to murder was very short and concise, to the point. And that was found in, in Exodus chapter 20. It's also found in Deuteronomy. Um, uh, and it says, you shall not murder. Four words. There's no gray, no ambiguity. There's not a you shall not murder unless you're just really, really get out of control. Or don't murder even though those kids or that neighbor or the people at the bank or the worst, the people in Washington. You shall not murder. Period. End of statement. That's the standard of the Old Testament. But Jesus, as I mentioned, said, you've heard it said of ancient times, you shall not murder. And Jesus then is going to contradict what they have always thought and always heard. I say to you, he says. Now, that makes me think he's not comparing our actions today with regards to this anger business to the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament, what, what was given in Matthew chapter 5, or I'm sorry, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, and all the verses around it was God's revelation given to Moses. So it's not just this is what you've always heard. That would be a, that would be this is what Moses, what God through Moses commanded. Jesus is not taking God on. Jesus is not saying, you know, when God gave Moses those Ten Commandments, he forgot some things, and so I'm going to come and straighten it out. He's talking about the moral sense that that we all have uh, naturally we could lose this moral sense I think but we have this sense of morality that taking another's life is wrong it's that's what he's saying uh, I think he's not arguing with the Old Testament he rather is saying our natural consequence for sin the naturally understood consequence for sin is that we can't that we uh, that we don't murder each other? I mean, we that's everybody sees that. Jesus says, "I want you to know that's not enough. It's not enough just to be good and moral and uh, follow the rules." I've I've raised a couple of teenage boys, and I've been one. And there is a difference between following the rules I don't want to do this but my mom and dad say I've got to do this and yes sir yes ma'am there's a difference isn't there we are that way with authorities all the time in our lives thou shalt not do this I don't care what you think I'm going to do what I want to do you know that that's the way that we are Jesus says it's not enough just to have have proof that you followed the rules and didn't kill anybody what's your heart doing what is your heart saying he says he goes on in these in verse 22 he says i say to you that whoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of judgment just being you know what anger is right um 
I think that anger can be, you, you've been around, you know people that have a really uh, sharp anger. That's the way it, you know, I, and the way I had it explained to me by a number of people is, well, that's just my old Irish anger. Anybody got an Irish anger? You know what we're talking about. You understand that. Um, some people's anger uh, is, is they just sit quietly and shut up and don't talk for a while. You know, uh, you, you guys, uh, you, don't, you don't know this, okay? Because you don't see it here at church. Wouldn't you love to see Sue angry? <laughs> I mean, it's hard to imagine that she would be angry and fly off the handle. You know why? Because I don't know that I've ever seen it. But I've seen her angry. I've seen her at times when, when things go and, and there was a, things happen and, and it, it so upsets her that oftentimes what she'll do is she'll go into a room and cry. That's another way of being angry. We've got to be careful. This anger is something that all of us can do, uh, can fall into. Matthew chapter 5 verse 22 uh, uh, tells us that, uh, that the standards are higher for God's people who are living under grace. Brian said it without even me telling him to do so this morning. He talked about how, how important it is for us to give, forgive because God forgave us. And because God forgave us, we have, we basically have two choices, well, three as it fits this sermon. One, somebody wrongs us, we can kill them. Because that phrase that's in that, in that verse, it says, without a cause. Well, I got a cause. No. Uh, without a cause that will stand up before God. You know, the God who forgives, who's forgiven Brian so many times that if if Brian um, it, it was God, he'd given up on Brian a long time ago. I'm just using kind of what he said. I'm not saying that's how God is. But I think that that um, we have to understand that when we have been forgiven so much, I don't think we can, it's a good choice to say, I'm going to kill them. That's one of the choices I, I can have. Or I can become angry at them and, and just, you know, rip myself real tight, but not hurt them. But I'm just going to wail, wail loose. I'm going to cut loose on them. Sometimes, especially if we're talking about our children, that can be just as deadly. Or I can choose to forgive. Anything short of I can choose to forgive puts us in danger of judgment. Here's how I know that. In the next chapter, chapter 6, Jesus is going to teach us how to pray. Pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You familiar with that one? Some of you have it cross-stitched and hanging on your, the wall of your living room or something. Because uh, we do. Um. But it says, and forgive us our sins or our trespasses or our debts. I'll leave that to, to the various translations. As we forgive those who sin against us. And then Jesus, after he's taught this, says, 
Because the way that you forgive is the way that God's going to forgive you. You don't forgive your brother of their sins, and they may be many. And God may not forgive you of yours. That's where, that's why it's, it's, it's so dangerous. It might put you in, in um, danger of the judgment because if you're not forgiving, it may be because you're not forgiven. You get it? So the, 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 can you see that the standards are higher now? You're under grace. The standards are higher. Just not killing somebody that you feel like killing is no longer going to be a jewel in your crown. Okay? Number two. And this leads right into this number two. And that is that my relationships with other people affects my relationship with God. Did you know that? I don't know if you know this. If you've, if you've picked up on this. If you've been here when we've observed the Lord's Supper together. I think just about every time I've said something like, if you know of somebody that you have, that you're in bad relationship with, that they're, they're angry with you or you're angry with them, or there's not been forgiveness that's been expressed and received, that, those kind of Leave here and go out and call that person if they're not here. Or get up in the danger of everybody in the church seeing you walk over to that person. Maybe turn to that person who's sitting next to you and deal with the issue. I was wrong. Confess the sin. Forgive one another. Then come back. Have you ever heard us do that with regards to the receiving of the Lord's Supper? You know why? Because if we don't do that, we're in danger. If we could, because we could eat that bread and drink that juice in an unworthy manner that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 Paul says and because you do that many of you have died and some of you are sick because you've not forgiven others point relationships that you have with others around you especially with your brothers and by that brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, that affects your relationship with God. Don't think that that's true? Listen to this. Roman, or Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. Whoever says to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. Raka? You want to know what the Greek word is that's used there? Raka. And the reason it's not translated, it, it, it's, it's what in Greek is called transliterated. So the letters are substitutes. So uh, R-A-C-A in Greek letters is R-A-C-A in English letters and it's pronounced the same way. But what does it mean? There is no English equivalent for it. I mean, so it's, it's, it's kind of a statement or a, uh, a manner of speech, if you will. When Jose, our son, who, by the way, today is his birthday. Happy birthday, Joe. Um, he, when he came to live with us and he spoke only Portuguese, 
And if it weren't for me, we'd never made it through because I spoke fluently Portuguese. Uh, well, I guess for a church, I better tell you. We lived with an English Portuguese dictionary on our dining room table, and he'd say something and we'd look it up, and then we'd say something and we'd try. Well, anyhow, when he was here, he and Nathan developed a language of their own. And it was half English and half Portuguese because neither one spoke the other, but together they would just kind of make up words. Well, he would begin, uh, do you remember this soon? He would, he would call Nathan when he got angry with him, Kabasa Fad Porku. And I'd say, what does that mean? And he'd say, this was later, he'd say, uh, well, there's no, no English word for it. I found out by finally looking it up, and it means you have the face of a pig. <laughs> I mean, the literal translation, but it was, it was always meant as a, a slam, as a, as a put down. Um, it's like calling somebody a name they don't want to be called. Okay? And that's what the word raka means. It's a, it's a word uh, that says you're empty, you're nothing, you're a nobody. I don't even have words for you. That's kind of what's bound up in this word. And so he says, if you're going to talk in derogatory terms about another person and call them raka, you are in danger of the council. The council, literally in Greek, is the word Sanhedrin. Those were the ones that put Jesus on trial and condemned him to death. And they were there to to measure out and examine the morality of people's behaviors and speech. 23 of them on that council uh, would resolve issues like this when someone would call someone else kabasafat porku. And he'd say, if you say raka to someone, that they're nothing, they're empty, they're worthless, you are in danger of being put on trial by the Sanhedrin. And by the way, the Sanhedrin had a great deal of authority. In some issues, they could put people to death. They could have the death sentence, they couldn't carry it out. That's why with Jesus, they had to go get Roman authority to kill him. So that's what he says. That tells me that, uh, that Jesus says, that your relationships with other people are important. Then he goes on, he says, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. That sounds even worse, doesn't it? And in the Greek language, it, that's the way it works out. Raka is severe, but it's not nearly as severe as calling someone fool. The word that is used for fool there is the Greek word moron, and we get our word moron from it. And it literally means someone who is so thick-headed and so stupid. I, I'm using the term out of Strong's concordance here. Someone who's so thick-headed and stupid and incapable of thought that they can't understand. And they call, they call that person a fool. The Bible says in Psalms, well, two places in Psalms, that the the man uh, that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Proverbs is replete with instructions with regards to people being fools. 
And it's talking about people who are just so dense they can't understand. And so to, for someone to say, you, uh, Raka, you're empty, you're, you're, you're worthless. Or if you say to them, you fool, you are dense, thick-headed, you're never going to be able to, you can't understand God in his ways. He says, if you say that, you're in danger of hellfire, Gehenna. That's, that's a, that sounds to me like it's pretty serious, doesn't it? Now, we need to know that Jesus wasn't giving a command that says, don't use the word raka and don't use the word fool. Find some other word that's less offensive. Jesus is saying, you say these things, you say these things to other people because that's what's in your heart. Whatever a person speaks, it doesn't come from their vocabulary that's rattled around here in their head. It's what's in their heart that causes a person to speak. And if your heart is causing you to say the wrong things, it may be because your heart's not right. So uh, what, he's, what he says here is, don't say these things to others around you. It may indicate your heart. The next verse says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there and go make things right. That's, that was intriguing to me as I thought about that. Somebody bringing their sheep or their goat into sacrifice to God, and as they're there with that sacrifice, they realize that they... They've wronged somebody, or they've been wronged by somebody, and it's not been fixed. It's not been resolved. Jesus' instruction is to walk away from your sacrifice and go get things right with that person. Do you understand, Jesus, how expensive a sheep and a goat could be for some of these people? And you want me to just leave it there? I mean, if you go to, the, to Target or Walmart and you fill up your basket and you realize you forgot your credit card or your money to pay for it what are you supposed to do you leave it there don't take it out to your car okay that's practical advice that has nothing to do with the sermon um, don't take it out to your car instead leave it there and go get what you need and then come back and make it right because uh, if you finish your, your sacrifice then because to offer that animal or that sacrifice without getting things right all you're doing is killing a good animal god's not going to receive it because god's concerned with your heart his concerns are what is going on in your heart so do you see how relationships how you how you are in relationship with others around you and these people that are around you usually usually are people that live in the same house and fill out the same address forms as you do. They're people who are around you that love you um, unconditionally, but still it's important for you to be in right relationship with them because your relationship with God is affected by it, by your relationship with, with your brothers, with those around you. Relationship with others affects our relationship with God. Thirdly, 
this is just a summary thought of everything that we've said here today. And that is that I believe God takes this seriously. We may have been a little bit lighthearted as we've talked about these things. And as you've reflected on maybe somebody that you've had words with or, or didn't have words with because you clammed up or something like that. As we've talked about those things, we've kind of smiled or we may have chuckled a time or two. But do you understand God's serious about this? Let me show you how serious it is from the verses that, we, that we've read. In verse, uh, verse 25, agree with your adversary, the one you're in conflict with very quickly, while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary delivers you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, you be thrown into prison, because I want you to understand, assuredly, you ain't going to get out of that prison until you have paid Every last penny. Jesus couldn't make it. God couldn't make it as a judge in today's world. Who lets people off before their crime has been paid for. Jesus is saying you need to go, you need to go now and get things right. Make things right with those that you may have an offense toward. And by the way, can I say this? They may not even know you've got an offense toward. You're waiting for them to come and apologize, and they may not understand they, they, how you feel. So you need to go and make things right as quickly as you can, because otherwise he might turn you over to the authorities or something that you said or did or didn't say, and he's going to turn you over, and you get delivered to the authorities, and they throw you into prison because you ain't getting out of prison until the, until the debt's paid. God takes it seriously. You know why God takes it seriously? Because God is absolutely serious about his relationship with you. The most important thing to God is you. The most important thing to God is your relationship with him. And he is, uh, he is so much in love with you that he will tell you even the minutest of details in your life that keep you from enjoying and, re and relating to him as you can, as you, as, you, as you do. God wants you to know that, that he loves you and he will pursue you to the end of the world, but that your heart can get between you and him and he wants to do whatever it takes to get your heart right. So if your heart has an offense that's hanging loose, a dangling participle, go close it. Go get it taken care of. Because you're, I'm, I'm not telling you that if you, do, if you don't do this, you're going to lose your salvation. I don't think Jesus is going there either. I think Jesus is saying, take this serious. Because it, it, will, it will hold you in prison until you do something about it. When someone has an offense against someone else, you, you begin, when you see that person or hear their name, your heart races a little bit. You may not even know what's going on, but it's happening. And you, you, you don't understand the kind of prison you are being held in. Today, I want to tell you that God wants you to live by grace but not to have 
a non-gracious spirit toward others. You can't, you can't live the Christian life without the grace of God on your life. But you can't enjoy the grace of God on your life if you're not gracious toward others in the same way that he was gracious toward you. I want you to understand that I'm not talking about it in an ethereal, existential sense here today as far as how people ought to be together. I'm talking about how you are with people that you're in relationship with. Examine them and make sure that they're right don't let the sun go down on whatever problem you've got today till you make it right because that's um, your relationship with God depends on it. Your fellowship with God might be a better term to choose. Depends on it. Let me share with you um, let me share with you the, the key focus for this day. You know, I've been giving you keys each time, each, each sermon. And uh, one of these days, I'll summarize them all. We'll, we'll read them all back. But the keys for today's kingdom is, is, is this. Um, it's not only what you do that matters. But it's the attitude of your heart that is of concern to God. God doesn't just want us to, to have... Uh, to follow the rules and dot the I's and cross the T's. God doesn't just want you to offer certain sacrifices. Does, the psalmist asks, does God take delight in sacrifices? Does he need those? Is that why he's doing this? Because he wants your money? No, God, God wants you to have a right heart. And even when you have a right heart, you'll do some wrong things. Because that's the nature of being human in today's world. But he is concerned not just what you do and don't do. That's not to say it doesn't matter. We've already had uh, last time where Jesus said it's important that you keep the law, but you can't keep the law. So I came and kept the law so that if you trusted me, you're keeping the law. You're following me. Amen. But it also matters that if you're going to live by grace, you demonstrate grace. And you give that to others because that's something that comes from the heart. You see that? That's what God wants you to know and to do and to put into practice in your life. Next week we're going to talk about, about uh, maybe even a more, <clears throat> I guess maybe a more observable or a more <clears throat> recognizable issue. And that is lust, wanting something that you're not allowed to have. Both of them are attitudes of your heart. And so Jesus wants us to know about those. Will you bow your heads to pray with me? <coughs> Father, I thank you that you are a God of grace, a God of goodness, a God that forgives. <clears throat> a God that takes imperfect people and declares us to be perfect yet understands we're not. But I thank you that you give us the secret to living by grace and that is by living with grace. Of demonstrating 
to others the same forgiveness that you have given to us. Father, we get crossways with one another, <clears throat> with those in our family or those at our work or those in our neighborhood or just even our everyday friends. We get cross with one another. We say things and we do things that hurt others and that damage relationships. Father, we ask you to forgive us. But we ask you to forgive us not only by just confessing that when we're quiet at church, but by going and making things right with the people that we've hurt or that have been hurt by us or that we've offended in some way. So today, Father, speak to our hearts and examine our hearts. Cause each one of us to examine our hearts and, to re and reveal to us if we're living by grace, if we've experienced your grace. And if so, then who it is that we need may need to go and make things right with. Father, will you have your way in each of our hearts? We ask it in Jesus' name.